Lord, we thank you for your goodness, your mercy, and grace. We worship you, Lord. Please take a seat. Thanks, team. It's good to be back in the house again this morning and great to catch up with everyone. Uh, I have missed church. For, uh, but we did have a, a good, good holiday up in Kaiteri, lots of mountain biking. Um, for those of you who have uh, had to work, work through Christmas and keep the country going while everyone else skies off and the, leaves the country to look after itself, I feel for you. I've done that for many years myself, is work through Christmas. Um, but it's good to be back together. And this morning, uh, I'm starting a series which we're going to run through the year. Uh, there'll be other uh, themes that will come through and have series on their own. But through the year, we're going to be working through a series on the Gospel of Matthew. And this morning, we're looking at chapter one. Now, a bit of background. The, the Gospel of Matthew is one of four Gospels. It's the first one, and it's the first book that occurs in the canon or the s- sequence of the New Testament. But it wasn't the first Gospel written. That honour belongs to Mark. And Mark wrote his Gospel, the scholars believe, now within 30 years of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And uh, there was a, a cave called Qumran, I think it, I'm not quite sure how you pronounce it, out the dead, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, and there was a fragment of Mark's gospel found in that cave, and that cave would have been closed due to the Roman occupying army coming in and destroying things in 68 AD. So for Mark's gospel to actually be written and get to that point, it was written sometime before then, which Jesus died around 33 AD. So scholars also then think that Matthew looked at Mark's gospel, and and Mark was a Gentile, and how he wrote his gospel was that he gathered sayings of the Apostle Peter and wrote it down, and it's not written actually in chronological order, and sometimes people will look at different gospels and say, the sequence is out, why is that? So Mark had a different aspect of how he was putting that together, and it came from the sayings of Peter. Whereas Matthew's gospel, who scholars think he looked at what Mark had done and thought, maybe I can do a better job of it. Matthew was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. So Mark was writing second-hand information down from sayings of Peter. Matthew, he was writing down first-hand stories. And Matthew was coming from a Jewish background. He was a Jew. He was Hebrew. And so when we start looking at the Gospel of Matthew, we need to bear that in mind, is that it's actually written from a Jewish perspective. Some might say that he, he wrote it to actually reach the Jews and start talking their language. But uh, the definite feel of Matthew's Gospel is that it's written from a Jewish perspective and from a first-hand perspective. So that's really helpful to know as, as we start looking at it. Also, Matthew was a bright cookie. He, you know, there's a, sometimes people think that the 12 disciples were ignorant because there was sort of a reference to them that the, the chief priest in the book of Acts classed them as unlearned people, but that doesn't mean to say that they were dumb. Matthew was a tax collector when Jesus found him. He would have been fluent in at least three languages, 
Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, uh, which were common languages of the day. Now, I struggle to be fluent in one language. When we, when we find people who are fluent in multiple languages, we give them some respect, don't we? We think, well, that's, that's quite a tough thing to do. He would have actually been a, uh, be able to have small conversations probably in multiple other languages because there is a lot of other people frequenting through Jerusalem and, and around the countryside. And in his role as a tax collector, he would have been interacting with these people. He would have also been good with numbers by nature of the role. And, and so he was a smart guy. And we, as we actually go through the book of Matthew, we can pick some of that up, that this was written by someone who was quite strategic and quite thoughtful in the way that he, that he went through it. So that's just a little bit of background as we start working through the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. Now, so who's ready to start at chapter 1? So I'm going to read it. It's a little bit wordy. Um, bear with me. It'd be great if you brought your Bibles along or had your phones all set up for it. So I'm just doing this so that you've got time to set your phones up with Matthew chapter 1 if you haven't done that yet or open your Bible up to, to that point. So let's start. Matthew chapter 1 verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amon, Amon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jehoiada and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jehoiada was the father of Shelatil, Shelatil the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Eliezer, Eliezer the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the father of Jesus who was called the Messiah. You can take a breath. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Then goes on, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus 
because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Okay, so a, a bit of reading to there, but let's actually dive into what's actually in this chapter. It's really fascinating, and it's the start. Bear in mind, this is the start of the whole New Testament. And in the very verse that starts the New Testament, the very ver- first verse that starts the Gospel of Matthew, we read that the first thing that is being focused on, this is a genealogy of Jesus. We discover at the very start of the New Testament, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And we read, read there that, that Matthew is making three audacious claims about Jesus in this very first verse. Now, because we're, we're reading this from the perspective of over 2,000 years later and we've sort of normalised a lot of things, we don't realise just how audacious these claims would have been to the Jewish people of his day. But what Matthew is claiming is, first of all, that Jesus is the Messiah. That's his first claim. Jesus is the Messiah. And the Jewish people were looking for a Messiah. It was one of the one of the great train of prophecies through the Old Testament that God was promising that there is a Messiah. Someone was going to come who would save the nation of Israel, who'd be an intermediary between them and God and bring, allow them to be saved and come back into a right relationship with God. And they were looking for a Savior. And Matthew is saying, Jesus is the Messiah. He's also saying that... Uh, Israel or the Jewish people, your view of what the Messiah was for is too small. Jesus is the Messiah for the world, not just for the nation of Israel. And we'll see that later on. Second claim that that, uh, Matthew is making is that Jesus is the son of David. And that's a really significant claim. Because not only was Israel looking for a Messiah... They were also looking for someone who was prophesied throughout the Old Testament as, as someone who would once again sit on the throne of David forever. And you remember at the time the nation of Israel was under rulership of the Roman Empire and it's suffering persecution through that in, in all sorts of different ways. But, so they were looking as a nation for someone who was going to sit on the throne of David, King David. And it's, it's really interesting that one of the things that Matthew does to actually prove these claims that he's making is he puts a genealogy in there, and we're going to come to that in a second. The third claim that, that um, Matthew makes is that Jesus is the son of Abraham, and Abraham is the father of faith. He's the father of promise. And, he's, and what Matthew is saying is that Jesus is the one who fulfills the promise of Abraham, and through faith, will be a blessing to all nations. So Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior. He's the one who is entitled to sit on the throne of King David, and he is the one who will bring blessing to all nations. It's the very first verse of the whole New Testament. 
So Matthew makes these claims. And being Jewish, he now wants to prove these claims. And one of the things that the Jewish people uh, really love is genealogies. And you'll see through the Old Testament, there's lots of lists of genealogies. And so one of the ways that uh, Matthew can prove it is by putting Jesus' genealogy down. Uh, when, when Israel was exiled to Babylon and they came uh, back out of exile and came back to the nation of Israel, one of the things that they did to prove whether someone was Jewish or not is they had to be able to prove through their genealogies that they, that they had the right lineage for them to class themselves as an Israelite or a Jew. They put really high value on genealogy. So uh, Matthew is putting the genealogy of Jesus in there, except when you read, there's two Gospels that have the genealogy. One is Luke, one is Matthew. When you read Luke's genealogy, it's actually the genealogy of Mary, and it's slightly different. The genealogy in Matthew is the genealogy of Joseph, Jesus' legal, not biological, father from Jewish tradition. So uh, what we're reading in Matthew here is the genealogy of uh, uh, Joseph, Jesus' legal father. Now, it's something really significant has happened around this genealogy. Uh, back in Jesus' time, all the gene genealogies were kept in the temple in Jerusalem. And if you remember when Jesus was traveling up to Jerusalem before, just before his crucifixion, and on Palm Sunday, we call it, and everyone was raving, waving palm leaves as he, as he went by, and they cried out, Hosanna to the son of David. If Jesus was not the son of David, he would not have claimed the throne of David and the chief priests and, and those in the religious authority would not have worried about him in the least. Because all they would have to say is, this guy is a charlatan, he's making claims which are, are wrong, he has no right to be saying the things that he's saying. But because he had lineage to King David... He had rightful claims to be the Messiah and to be the, the king who would sit on the throne of David forever. And that challenged the religious authorities. All they had to do was say, he's not of that lineage, lineage but they couldn't. And then, as I said, all the, all the genealogies were stored in the temple in Jerusalem. And then in AD 70, the Romans came in and destroyed Jerusalem, and they destroyed the temple. They obliterated it. All genealogy records were destroyed. The only genealogy record that exists for someone of the line of King David is the one that we find in Matthew. The only person who can actually have a legitimate claim to sit on the throne of King David is Jesus, according to Jewish tradition, because it's the only genealogy that exists now to support that claim. Matthew is strategic and brilliant at, be, at being able to come up with ways that the Jewish people would understand to actually support these three audacious claims that he's making, that Jesus is the Messiah, 
He's the one who has the right to sit on the throne of King David, and he's the one who through all through uh, who the blessing to all nations will come as promised to Abraham. Are you getting that? Okay, a, a, a couple of other things about this, these lists of genealogies. First of all, Matthew divides it into groups of 14, three groups of 14. Now, it's, uh, he's missed, if you go through the Old Testament genealogies and do some comparisons, you'll discover that he's missed some names out of the list. It's not complete. And that was actually okay from Jewish tradition. You know, they, uh, you know, Glenda was talking about the DNA and the connections and the line up there. And the Jewish people understood that, you know, they called themselves a son of Abraham or a daughter of Abraham because in Abraham's seed they had already existed. So for them to step a generation or two in a, in a list of genealogies was not a problem for them because they understood, you know, they were actually within there. So, so Matthew is actually structuring something here for a reason. He's got three lists of 14 names sitting there. Now, again, this is building evidence or case for, or, or strengthening what he's saying to, for, that the Jewish people would actually pick up. Because the name, the consonants in the Jewish language represent numbers as well. The consonants represent numbers. So when you look at King David, D is uh, value number four, represents number four. And there's two Ds in the name David, which gives us eight. The letter V represents six in the Jewish uh, system. When you add six into there, you get 14. So by Matthew identifying that there's three lists of 14 here, he's strategically saying to the Jewish people that Jesus has a far greater right and claim to be the one that's going to sit on the throne of, of David, be the king of God's kingdom, than David himself actually had. He has a far greater claim. Matthew is emphasizing that Jesus is the one. Jesus has to be the one. Another thing that's really interesting in the genealogy that Matthew has put together here is he lists five women in the genealogy. You go back through the Old Testament, you don't find women in genealogies. So again, this is something unique that Matthew has done, and there'll be a reason for that. And so um, he he's wants us to actually see something here by listing these five women. So if we have actually a look at who the five women are, we can pick something up that Matthew is trying to actually bring in here as he's identifying Jesus as the Messiah, the one who saves. Jesus as being the one that has the authority to sit on the throne of God's kingdom and Jesus be the one that, who will bring blessing to all nations. The first woman that we find is a, is a lady called Tamar. Now, uh, if, you, if you go back through the Old Testament, you find that, uh, and we go back through the heritage of, of Israel, we've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who became Israel, and Israel had 12 sons. One of those sons' names was Judah, and Judah himself had three children. 
Now, uh, the first one who's called Ur, he erred. <laughs> and he married a Gentile woman, someone who is not from the group that, that they should really marry. And so he married a Gentile woman called Tamar. And uh, the Bible records that Ur did wickedness in the sight of the Lord, Lord and so God killed him or caused him to die. And, ta and that was before he had actually had any offspring. Now, the, uh, under the traditions, um, if a woman was left alive after her husband died without children, then she was supposed to marry the next youngest son, and the first uh, son that they had would take up the, the inheritance of the oldest son who had passed away, so that they kept their inheritance going through that, that family line. So Tamar then married the next, next son called Onan, I think it is from memory. And, but the Bible says that he also did wickedness in the eyes of the Lord, so he also died. No children. So Judah had a third son, and some scholars believe that he might have been thought that Tamar was the problem. So he didn't actually marry Tamar to the third son, and he said, I'll wait till he gets older and that sort of thing. So Tamar is left in a really difficult position What's she going to do? She could go back to her own Gentile nation and find a husband there and carry on and, and, and have whatever life she wants there. But instead she chose to stay as part of the children of Israel, to stay as part of the fledging nation Israel. She, uh, scholars believe that she could see the future, that she, could, she understood the promise and she wanted to be part of the promise. So how she went about it wasn't necessarily good, but she disguised herself as a prostitute, and Judah came along, and so she tricked him to sleep with her and had two children from that uh, experience. One of them being Perez, who is in the lineage of Jesus. So why does Matthew include Tamar in this, in this genealogy? It's because... I believe she was from a Gentile nation. And Matthew is saying to the Jewish people that not only is Jesus the, the saviour, the king, and the, the one who gives blessing for the nation of Israel, but all nations are included and available for uh, what Jesus has to give. All nations, all ethnicities, all languages are included, and we see in Revelation, all nations come to the throne. All are included. The second woman in the, in the lineage is Rahab. Now, this is a little bit further on. The, uh, Israel has been in Egypt for 400 years. Moses had led them out, taken them through the wilderness. They were supposed to be going to a land of milk and honey. They doubted it and ended up having to spend 40 years in the in the wilderness, then uh, time comes from the going. Joshua takes over the running of the nation and is going to take them into the promised land. And uh, the very first city they have to overcome is a city called Jericho. And so Joshua sends two spies into the city of, of Jericho and, and the leaders of the city find out about it and they start trying to find them. They go to the house of Rahab who was a prostitute and she hides them in there and says, look, uh, and 
uh, enables them to escape and she says remember me and she's told to put a, a, a red thread out of her window when the nation of Israel comes to attack and you remember the story that go around for seven days around and eventually the wall falls down except Rahab's house who was on the wall and her and her family are saved some people think that she maybe married one of the spies that came in but she was included in this lineage for Jesus. And it says Matthew is saying, not only is every nation and ethnicity included in, a, in, in what Jesus has to offer, but it doesn't matter what sin you've committed, doesn't matter what uh, thing you've been involved in, you are available to be included in what Jesus can provide as saviour and king and provider and blesser. The third, the third woman, uh, so we've had Tamar, we've had Rahab. Rahab, the third woman, is Ruth. And if you remember the story of Ruth, uh, Naomi with her husband and two sons went to, into the nation of Moab, a neighboring nation of Israel, for, uh, because of a drought. Uh, the two sons married Moabite women, one of them being Ruth. Uh, the, all three men died while they were there so Naomi went back and on the way back the, her two daughter-in-laws were going with her and she says to them look why don't you go back and find husbands amongst your own people so one of them did, Ruth stayed and a, a famous saying that she said is that um, your people will be my people and your God will be my God and she ended up marrying Boaz who, and became part of the lineage of Jesus and as Matthew is saying with, with Ruth that anyone who wants to exercise faith and step in to the promise of God is available to be included in Jesus. And the, the fourth one is uh, called Uriah's wife in the lineage, who we know as Bathsheba. And uh, if you remember the story of Bathsheba, David was not at war where he was supposed to be, and he was there, and he looked out, and he saw Bathsheba down there, and so he got her brought up to his palace, and there basically uh, he raped her, and then murdered her husband. Now we, we read the story from our perspective, and, and it sort of looks slightly glossy, but I imagine it wasn't actually as glossy as it sounds. She did end up uh, being one of David's wives in the end and had a son called Solomon who, who took over the running of the nation of Israel. But you know, during that time, what she would have gone through, you know, her, um, that, that experience of being raped and having her husband murdered, would have been an incredibly difficult experience for, for her to go through. And... It's as if Matthew is saying that not only is every nation and tongue included and available in Jesus, not only is uh, whatever you've committed in the way of sin able to be forgiven and you can be included in Jesus, not only is it anyone who exercises faith is included in, uh, can be included in Jesus, but it doesn't matter what has happened to you, Jesus can turn it around doesn't matter what has happened to you if you put your faith in Jesus Jesus can turn it around and make a difference and if the band wants to come up
The last woman is Mary. And we read about in, in Mary, it's a really abbreviated account of, of how both Mary and Joseph interact with this giving birth to this person who is our saviour, our king, and everything that we need. And what they are both faced with is that they actually have to count the cost. Mary could end up losing her ability to be married because she would be uh, pregnant outside of wedlock. She would be despised in shame. Was that worth what God was offering? Joseph, it says, was a righteous man. He had high upstanding in the community. And he had to decide, was it worth keeping that to, to marry Mary and just to trust that this was a God thing? Both of them had to count the cost. But in, in saying yes to counting that cost, they were actually to step in and actually uh, bring Jesus into the world, who is the Messiah, the King of Kings, the one who is a, will bless all nations as people put their trust in him. Do you think this is someone who's worth worshipping, our God, our, our King? Now, as we work through Matthew, we'll discover there's just so much more that, that we can learn. But if you're here this morning and you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus, God doesn't ask for a blind faith. Matthew actually puts really strong evidence down that Jesus is the one who we can trust in. And this morning, whether you're in the garden lounge, whether you're watching online, or whether you are here in the auditorium, why don't you make Jesus your saviour today? It's very simple, and you can do this in your own time. All it is is saying a prayer, saying uh, sorry, please, and thank you. Sorry for everything that you've done wrong. Please, Jesus, uh, or thank you, Jesus, for what you did on the cross. Please come, forgive me for my sins, and take charge. And then if you do that, the Holy Spirit will come and live inside you and, and, and be the blessing over your life that was promised right from the beginning. Let's stand and worship.